Turn in that same passage that we just had our New Testament reading, Colossians chapter 3, page 984 in the Blue Bible. Colossians 3, we had, I had preached on this a couple of weeks ago, and we will pick up where we left off. We're going to pick up at verse 15, 16, and 17 for preaching, but we're going to back up to verse 12 and recap just a little bit in terms of what we looked at last time two weeks ago. Yes, Paul? Is the mic working? Okay. All right. I will try to speak louder as well, Paul. Okay. And hopefully my voice doesn't give out, but yes. Um, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin our reading at verse number 12, and we will read down to verse 17, and again the preaching portion will be uh, down at um, 15, 16, and 17. So let's uh, read now at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, as we look at these uh, words tonight, we ask that these words would come alive by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that this book is alive. And we thank you that we have a Savior that is alive and ever lives to make intercession for us. And so now, as we look into your Holy Word, that the, we pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our eyes and that you would give us eyes to see what you would have each one of us here to take away that we can apply to our lives for your glory's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, several years ago, Tammy and I were headed westbound on Highway 1 early in the evening, and on our approach to the Portman Bridge, we noticed a vehicle up ahead of us that was swerving all over the highway, one side to the other side to the other side, and so we backed off a little bit and observed this vehicle for for a couple of seconds and noticed that something was terribly wrong uh, with whoever was driving this vehicle. They must be intoxicated or on drugs or having some kind of medical emergency. Something is wrong. And so we right away called 911 and we followed the vehicle. And very quickly we realized that this person was inebriated and, and under the influence probably of alcohol. And so we followed this vehicle on 911 and as we got to the other side of the bridge, the vehicle went off into Coquitlam. We followed them, and eventually the RCMP caught up to us and caught the vehicle, pulled the vehicle over. The man drove up onto the curve and, curb and, uh, and left his vehicle there, kind of sideways on the curb. He got out of the car. He could barely walk, and so he, he was given a sobriety test, and of course he was handcuffed, put in the vehicle, and off he uh, went uh, for an evening at least, uh, with the RCMP. Um, so you might be wondering, what on earth does that have to do with Colossians 3, 15 
to 17. And it has lots to do with it, actually. Because as we live our lives sometimes, as we are on the straight and narrow path along this road, we can begin to swerve. We can start to get out of line. We can move away from the white lines and divert into other lanes, take other other diversions. We can even want to do a U-turn in our spiritual lives and go back because the Christian life is difficult and it's hard. And so as we look at all of these different ways that we can go, we know that the Scriptures call us to stay on the straight and the narrow way and to not deviate from to the right or to the left and to stay in pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ, a life of faith, not deviating, not swerving, not making a wreck of our faith, but following obediently to what we know to be the right way. So how do we do that? Well, this passage wonderfully shows us three different ways that the Lord gives to us to be able to stay on that straight and narrow path and to not divert and to not swerve and to not make shipwreck of our faith. And the first thing that we see is in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That is the first thing. We're not going to be touching on the entirety of these verses. We're just going to be picking out three different elements here and having uh, one other point of application and encouragement for you. But the first thing for us to notice big picture in this passage. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. When we come to Christ and receive the forgiveness of our sins and are justified, there is a real sense in which our battle with God is over. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 reminds us of this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is peace with God. Peace with God. And what Paul is talking about in Colossians 3.15 is the peace of God. The peace of God. It's a, a peace, a rest, a contentment for those who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that the sins of the past have been forgiven. They know that God is at work in their present circumstances for their good and His glory. And though they do not know the future, they know the one who does know the future. And so we can rest. We can be content. We can be at peace in this world knowing that we know the God who knows our future and He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always be with us through to the end. And then we will be received into His presence in eternal peace forevermore. That is real peace. Real peace. Past sins, present turmoil, a future unknown. And Jesus comes to us and says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Because the world can't give peace. The world disrupts our peace. The world leaves us in turmoil. And though it talks a lot about peace, it robs us of our peace. And the more we are in the world, the more we realize that. The more we are ingesting the things of this world, the less peace that we have in this world. And so there is this operation that has occurred within our hearts, but along with that, there needs to be cooperation with the Spirit. And so we see that little word there, let. Let. Let the peace of Christ rule 
in your hearts. And then secondly, in verse 16, we see, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is something that we are to do and allow to let it happen and to not hinder its happening within our lives. And so there is this operation that we see back in verse 9 and 10 where we have put off the old self and put on the new self. And then there is cooperation that we see. Those things in verses 5 and 8 that we are told to put to death. We're told to get rid of them, put them away, to stop it. And then there is the list that we are to put on. So things we are to put off and things we are to put on to clothe ourselves in. And we saw that last time in verses 12 to 24. And the word, the word here, rule, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word here, rule, is really an athletic term. It's like a referee or a judge. And it's the only time that it's used in our New Testament in this exact way where we are allowed to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts in such a way that it adjudicates what is right and what is wrong, just like a referee would do in an athletic uh, competition. The referee says what is in bounds and what's out of bounds. The referee says what's a foul and what isn't a foul. And in the same way, the peace of Christ is to rule that way in our hearts. And what Paul is saying is that in our decision-making, the peace of Christ is to be our guide. The things that we are doing, do we have peace about those things? It's like the lines on that road that we talked about in the beginning. You want to stay between those lines. And when you live and you walk in obedience to Him, you sense His presence, you know His peace. You're staying within the boundaries of what we know He prescribes in His Word. And when we get out, when we want to go our own way, when we want to go off-road, we can expect a very bumpy ride. When we say, no, I'm, I'm not going to stop, I'm not going to go straight, I'm going to go off-road, then our peace is disrupted. We're living in disobedience. And Paul goes on to say, to which indeed you were called in one body, again in verse 15. So our relationships with one another are to be governed by peace. How we relate to each other. How you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have peace about that? Do you have peace in the way that you communicate? Do you have peace in the way that you think about people within the body of Christ? Are you at peace with that? It's a searching question. It's not as easy to answer as we might think on the surface. To which you were called in one body. And we see this oneness taking place throughout the passage. We looked at that a little bit last time, the one another's that are here in the passage, and they are in the passage here again. And so this text is really teaching us how we live out within the body of Christ, how we live out our faith with one another, practicing the one another's that we see in the scriptures. And so the peace of Christ is not just something that we need to flourish in our own lives. It's something that we need to flourish within the life, the body life of the, of the Lord here in the church and having peace about the way that we interact with each other. And then verse 16 provides something also of critical importance to us. So first of all, we have the peace of Christ and then we are to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's another very important part. The peace of Christ is to rule. The word of Christ is to guide. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Peace is an emotion. 
Peace is an emotion, and sometimes emotions can be very subjective, and so we need something rooted in the objective, in this case the Word of God, to be able to establish us and give us that firm foundation. So we are to let the peace of Christ rule, and we are to let the Word of Christ dwell. That word, dwell, it's an interesting word. It means to allow it to make itself at home. We are to allow the Word of Christ to make itself at home within us. And the idea is that the Scriptures, Christ's Word, shouldn't be treated to us as a stranger. It's not just an occasional visitor. It's not just something where we're going to pick up the Bible once a week when we come here on the Lord's Day, but it's something that is abiding with us, continually dwelling with us richly throughout the week. Richly, in abundance. So the peace of Christ and the Word of Christ applied by the Spirit of Christ are how we stay on the road. We need both. We need the Spirit of Christ at work within us. We need the Word word of Christ to be filtering these things that we think and do in our lives. We We are to filter these through this grid. Now, for some of us, we've been believers for a long time. And perhaps other of us haven't been believers for that long. But I'm sure you've realized by this point in your Christian life that the more of the Word you have, the more the Word is dwelling richly within you, the more peace you tend to have. The more alive the Word is within you, the more alive the peace of Christ is within you. More Word, more peace. Seems like a logical implication of what we're reading here, isn't it? And that's something that many of you have lived out in your Christian life. You know that the closer in tune you are with the Word of the Lord, the more of the peace of the Lord that, that you have. And so lots of, the, lots of people read the Bible to increase knowledge. And that's a good thing. We should be increasing our Bible knowledge. But the primary reason we read the Bible, we discussed this a little bit in Sunday school this morning in Surrey, the primary purpose we read the Bible isn't necessarily for information, but for transformation. We want to be transformed by the Word. Transformation. Putting to death the list of sins that we began to see unfolded back in verse 5, that is the real work of the Christian life, isn't it? Putting to death sins, it's easier for us to decry a thousand sins in another than it is for us to put to death one sin in our own hearts. And so we need the Spirit of Christ, we need the Word of Christ dwelling richly within us. And the Word of Christ and the Spirit of Christ call us to put aside ourselves as the authority and to look to Christ as the authority, to submit to the Word of God. Does the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? There are a lot of things that we allow to dwell in us richly. Think about how you spend your time during the week. It could be sports, it could be social media, it could be Netflix, it could be a whole host of things that we allow to dwell in us richly. Now, a lot of things we have as responsibilities. We have work, we have family, we have different things that might, that might uh, cause the amount of time we want to spend in God's Word uh, to be less than we would like it to be, and yet God commends us for those things, and it is good and right for us to have responsibilities. Those are given to us by God, and we need to do that. But we allow a lot of things that don't necessarily enhance our spiritual lives to dwell richly within us. Some years ago, Tammy and I had a, a house with a basement suite. 
And I don't know if you've ever had really bad renters, but we had some bad renters that were living downstairs. And after a considerable length of time, we finally had to give them an eviction notice. That was it. They were dwelling quite comfortably within our home and wanted to continue on there and didn't want to receive that eviction notice, but we had to give them the eviction notice for the sanity of our own family. Um, sometimes we allow things into our lives to take root and to dwell richly within us that we need to serve that eviction notice to, that we need to get rid of. They are dwelling comfortably within our hearts and we need to say no more. We need to say, that's it. We're done with this. It's gone. We need to allow the Word of Christ to dwell richly within us. And in proportion to how the Word dwells within us will be in proportion to the peace that we have in this world. George Mueller said that the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and in our thoughts. Remember we talked last time about putting off and putting on. And that's what this passage is discussing. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 discusses for us. The Apostle Paul uses this uh, regularly, put off and put on. As we put those things away, as we evict those things, and as we put on more of the Word, we will never regret more time spent in God's Word. When we're on our deathbed, it will not be one of our regrets. I spent too much time in God's Word. Netflix could be a regret. Social media could be a regret. Time in God's Word will never be a regret. So how do we get there? How do we allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly? Well, very obviously, we need to read it. We need to read God's Word. Read it consistently. Be intentional and prioritize it in our lives. And we need to hear it. We need to be hungry to hear it preached. We need to be hungry to hear it taught. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate upon it. Chew on it throughout the day. We need to ask questions as we're reading our Bibles. What is this text teaching me about God? What is this text teaching me about the, about the gospel? What is this text teaching me? Is there a, a, a sin here that I need to get rid of and confess? Is there an admonition of encouragement here that I need to take up? for my own spiritual encouragement during the day. Many different questions we need to ask the text as we read so that we don't just have a Bible reading program and tick it off the list and move on our way and forget those things that we read. No, we need to meditate upon those things throughout the day. That is how, that is what it means to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, to be in the Word. Did you read your Bible this morning? Don't you hate it when a pastor asks you that question? How about yesterday morning or last night? Reading the Bible, taking it in, ingesting it. It's easy for us to go from our cell phone in the morning to our computer, to work, to back home again, to being busy in the evening, uh, back on our computer, back on the cell phone, and the day slides away and we've spent no time. We've not let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. So the peace of Christ rules in us. The Word of Christ is at home in us. And then to guide us, thirdly, as we stay on that straight and narrow road, verse 17 tells us that the name of Christ is to remind us that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. The name of Christ, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
the things that you did this last week, the things that you are contemplating to do this coming week, can those things be done in the name of Christ? It seems like an easy filter, doesn't it? Can those things be done in the name of Christ? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is pretty comprehensive and all-encompassing. Do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Jews looked at a person's name as being very important because it wasn't just a title. It told us something about the person's reputation. The reputation. All that a person is, is embodied in the person's name. And so, do what we do and say what we say in view of Christ's reputation. Are the things that you're doing, thinking, saying, enhancing the reputation of Christ, or do they detract from the reputation of Christ? That is a sobering, searching question for us to consider. We are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are Christians, Christ's ones, and so we are not to say or do anything that is going to negatively impact Christ's reputation. Now we live in a world that is hostile to Christ and hostile to the things of Christ. And so the world is going to not like, is not going to uh, think that those things that we believe and that we say are of good reputation. They are not going to think that those things enhance the name of Christ. We see that all the time in social media where, where people say things that are true and right and biblical and yet the world does not like those things. But that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about us as believers who know uh, the Word of God. If we are doing or saying anything that we cannot say, I am doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus, then it's wrong. It's sinful. If we are doing something that will not smear God's reputation, then that's good. We can do that in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let yourself be governed by the peace of Christ guided by the Word of Christ, doing everything in the name of Christ. Now there's something in connection with each of these three points that we didn't touch on yet, and you as good Bible students would have noticed and picked up on this, that in connection with all of these things, there is a particular other thing that we need to see here and take notice of as we wrap up our last uh, uh, five or seven minutes here. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness, being thankful. Be thankful with thankfulness in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father. Thanksgiving, very short little phrases that are so meaningful in the Christian life and how we live out the Christian life in our family and in our church family. Very important. You want to begin a life of transformation tonight along with these three principles? Be a thankful person. Be thankful. The words at the end of verse 15. Be thankful. No matter who you are, what circumstances you are in, what kind of turmoil you are in, 
right now, this night, you have something to be thankful for. And perhaps you can take that home as homework. What am I thankful for? There might be people in your life that push buttons. We talked earlier about living these things out in community. There might be people in this church family that push your buttons. And yet, try to think about the, the work of effectual grace within the heart of that person and be thankful for something within their life. And that will change your attitude towards them. People in our own families that can push buttons, that it can be difficult with family, extended family, uh, to be around them. Find something in their life and be thankful for it. If there's a way to bridge that gap, then talk to them and be thankful and it will change your attitude towards them. And the opposite of thankfulness is, of course, grumbling. We see grumbling throughout the Bible and we see that it is easy to grumble and we default to that naturally. That is part of our sin nature is to grumble and complain. We saw that with the early ancient Israelites. They were grumblers and complainers and God judged them for it. And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul tells us to do all things without grumbling. To do all things without grumbling. It's a clear command not to complain. And we have other clear commands here to be thankful. Clear commands not to complain. But we look around us in our own personal lives and in the world around us and it's easy for us to complain. And so that means that there must be, in order for us to rise above this, there must be something supernatural that takes place within us for us to rise above the natural inclination to complain and to have a heart of thankfulness. What is it? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And we see that throughout this passage. We see the gospel. Paul pointing us back to the gospel as the answer, the antidote to complaining. The, the reason for our thankfulness and gratitude comes primarily from the gospel. And the reality is, if we were just to look at our church family, we have so much to be thankful for. New attenders, new members, marriages, baptisms, births, all these different things that cause us to rejoice and give thanks to God. Wonderful things taking place within our own midst. Many things to be thankful for. A church that serves, people that want to come alongside those who are hurting and to try to alleviate their pain and suffering in their time of need. So the Lord is at work within our midst and and amazingly so and we need to give Him gratitude and thanksgiving for that. But there's another thing. If you were to back up to Colossians chapter 1 and look down at verse 20. I was struck this week and amazed as I thought about this. Remember, one of the ways to have the Word of Christ dwell in us richly is to meditate upon it. And so I just want to meditate for our encouragement for a few moments upon verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's just take that phrase for a moment, that ending phrase there. Making peace by the blood of the, cro- of the cross. We are no longer hostile to God, and God is no longer hostile with us. He's not waiting for us to get out of line and whack us. He loves us and He cares for us and He tenderly uh, cares for us. 
But I think that it's helpful for us to get the picture that is described here into our minds and to not gloss over it too quickly as we consider these things. It's helpful for us to think of Jesus, the Lord of glory, who had his back bloodied and lacerated by whips, was beaten about the face. He had a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp so that he would have been a bloody mess. We know head wounds can bleed so easily, right? If you, if you scratch your forehead, even lightly sometimes, it can bleed quite, quite profusely. And so we think about that crown of thorns pressed into the skull of Jesus and how that would have bled to go along with all of the lacerations, to then carry the cross and to be so exhausted he can't carry it all the way to Golgotha and he needs help, he's exhausted. And then he is nailed to the cross, hands and feet, more blood. And consider this, all without complaint. All without complaining. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Not a word of complaint. And then he's lifted up in humiliation before the world to die on that cross. And having died, he had the spear thrust into his side. And then in in doing so, Paul says that he gives us peace by the blood of his cross. Peace by the blood of his cross. Also that his peace would rule in our hearts, verse 15. And then so that we would rise up in our hearts and give thanks to God, verse 16 in chapter 3. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? We can fool people all the time. We can pretend to have great relationships with people and yet our heart is harboring bitterness and anger and hatred towards them. We can use kind words and be cordial, but yet our hearts can still have that bitterness one toward another. And so Paul goes after the heart. It's a matter of the heart. That's an area that no one else sees but God. God knows our hearts. And so you may be here tonight, physically, but your heart is very, very distant from the Lord. And so these verses provide for us a tremendous outline to get on track and to stay on track. Not deviating to the right or to the left. How do we do that? We let the peace of Christ rule. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Oh God, we, we must confess that sometimes we, we go over your word too quickly and treat things that are so deep so lightly. So we ask that we would truly feast and feed upon your word and that you would in turn nourish us and give us strength that we might stand in a wicked and perverse generation, a generation that has risen up against you, a generation that hates you and hates your word, 
A generation that speaks much of peace, but there will be no peace until it knows the Prince of Peace. So we thank you, O God, that you have shone this light in our hearts and that we can know and proclaim Christ as our King and we can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters. I thank you for each one of them. I ask that you'd bless each home represented here and pray that you'd bless them greatly. All for Christ's name and sake. Amen.